Hey, this is singer-songwriter and mental health advocate Stephanie Mathias. Be sure to check out my single Hero Side, available on all platforms now, and listen to Citywide Blackout, your home for the best indie artists. Hey everyone, and welcome back to CDY Blackout. I'm your host, Max Bowen. And of course, joining me as he always does, one and only, Curtis is on the mic. The one and only? Wow! Thanks, Max. What an introduction. Happy to be back. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, of course, man. Of course. Of course, this being being Curtis and I's favorite time of the year, we're sliding out of summer into fall, and we're here for all of it, basically. We're here for every last last little piece of it. So So you say. You said you were going to be baking, right? Very soon, very soon, it's 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 gonna happen. This is this is how I kick off fall, baking a massive amount of treats for the holiday season. So I got you covered. Don't the baking is going to happen. The baking will happen very very soon. All right, but we have a much more interesting story to to dive into, Curtis. And this one begins as it usually does with a very simple jewelry heist. Nothing unusual, ordinary regular jewel theft, but. You go beneath the surface, but? and it becomes into a full-fledged investigation with an unknown drug connected to a string of murders. Murders. Oh, my gosh. Murders, you exactly, say. Exactly, murders. And joining us to talk all about that is the expert on, on the topic, author Maggie Giles, to talk about her recently released book, Twisted. Maggie, welcome to the show. It is so cool to have you here. Curtis, Max. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you guys about the book. Oh, definitely, definitely. I want to ask, before we get into the more meat of the conversation, how does it feel to have this thing released? Because at the time of this recording, it's only been out for about a week or so. Um, Yeah, you know, it's been an exciting release, but it's been a busy one. I just came back from Chicago, so it's been a hectic few days. Um, I went down for a writing conference. Um, so normally I would have probably been able to wrap my head a little bit more around the release, but unfortunately everything just was like a bunch of dominoes last week. Oh, bad. Okay. So you were in Chicago. Did you have the pizza? I didn't actually have the pizza. I know. I know. I have to go back. I am going back, um, hopefully in the early next year. So I will do it again. Unfortunately, I was just working the entire time I was there, and I barely left the hotel. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, then. Let us talk about this book. Now, like most murder mysteries, I imagine yours is a fairly complex and complicated story. So given that, do you have to put in a lot of time just kind of plotting this thing before you can actually start writing it? Absolutely. I think uh, one of the most interesting things about this particular story When I first started writing it, I had seven points of view. So I had seven different characters you were hearing from. Um, I ended up going through a lot of process, narrowing it down. It is down to three points of view now. Um, But it was an interesting attempt to change because I felt before you got to see all of these different perspectives and it really added a different layer. So when I was advised to cut back a bit on my point of view count, it uh, made me have to think about it a little bit differently. And, and yes, wrap my head around each character and how I could make all their stories go together seamlessly while keeping them all separate. Going from seven perspectives to three, how'd you do that? And how did it change the overall story? 
Yeah, I think what was really great about my particular story was a lot of those seven perspectives overlapped. So there'd be multiple characters in one point of view. So it made narrowing down some of them a little bit easier. But I certainly did have about two characters for sure that were completely off screen from any other character. So trying to get their point of view in while still maintaining the integrity of the story was definitely a challenge. And I had to think of some creative ways to try and get them tied into the background of a scene that they may not have been in originally. So killing these particular darlings are not a huge problem for you. You know what? It was hard. Um, I resisted it pretty hard at first, but I've been writing for about 10 years pretty consistently and seriously and, and getting more into publishing in that time. So I think I've gotten a little bit better at wrapping my head around having to let go of some of my control. And ultimately, the story is better for it as hard as it was for me to imagine at first. <laughs> yeah, I've read some books yeah, where they do have this multiple character like perspectives, and I can only imagine how complicated it is to plot that whole thing and not realize, oh, wait a minute, that was supposed to happen to that person, I've got to redo this entire chapter. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's also very interesting about the story is you mentioned the prescription medication at first, and when I first plotted this, it started about halfway through where it starts now. And the drug didn't even come into it. So I ended up going through some readers who kind of came back to me and went, you know, this isn't particularly believable. Is there something you can do to, you know, make this a little easier to wrap your head around? And I tied in this idea of this drug. And honestly, it ended up bringing me on a whole different story that I I am able to write a second one. I have a sequel coming out next year that explores it a little bit more. And it, it was really neat because it gave this whole other layer to this murder mystery I thought had been so cut and dry. And I just went, okay, well, now we're starting about, you know, 30 chapters sooner. And there's this whole other storyline to tie into it. See, so, that's exactly what happens when you take drugs. You just get yourself on a trip and you're... <laughs> It's true. <laughs> so, no, I don't know that from experience, but that's what I've heard. So drugs made the story better. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Kids, don't do drugs. Okay, so moving on. Uh, as they say, you got to write what you know. So I'm curious how you went about becoming an, an, an expert on these topics of like murders and drugs and everything else that kind of go, goes with it. You know, I spent a good amount of time researching. Um, I love reading thrillers, murder mysteries, suspense. It is my preferred genre, so I am very wide read in it. But personally, I actually started by basing three of the characters on myself and two of my best girlfriends. We are nothing like the characters now. I will preface that very, very quickly. Because I have something called aphantasia, I don't picture things in my mind. So I tend to start with a basis. So when I was creating these characters, I kind of had these ideas of these people that I knew. And then I just spent a lot of time researching. Um, I spoke to somebody who worked uh, with the FDA and getting drug approval to learn a little bit about their process. And um, I just did a lot of research based around police procedure. I've spoken to a couple uh, Ontario police officers, which is where the book is set. Um, I do have a friend that went through it recently. So 
she was a big help. And just kind of getting, making sure that I nailed, nailed down some of these procedures because I really wanted it to read as authentic and real as possible, even though it is fiction and there is a little bit of suspension of belief. But there's always that person who will catch the mistakes every single... (laughs) Every time. Seriously, it it is ridiculous. But there's always that person who happens to know this topic just a little bit too well, and they will catch those mistakes. Uh, Question for you, Maggie. In the course of the research, did you just wind up changing any major plot points of the story? Yes, absolutely. Because I think what happens is, especially with... um, media and fiction we consume, we have these ideas, whether they're false or true, or, you know, somewhat rooted in the truth, we have these ideas in our head of how things work. So there were definitely times that I went back and I'm like, oh, okay, that procedure wouldn't actually happen that way. And I want to try to be as authentic as possible. And I mean, I, again, I do preface it, it is fiction, I do take some liberties, we all do. I can't please everybody. I do try my hardest. Um, But I think, you know, that's really important to note. I want it to ring true for the people who know it. But at the same time, I want, you know, everyone to appreciate that they are reading fiction. Exactly. So you had worked for uh, the Women's Fiction Writers Association, right? Um, And how does that help? How has that helped you? Um, I know you've been involved with that since I think 2014. Is that correct? Yeah, so it's been a long time. I actually just retired from my social media role this week. Um, I'm very excited about it. But yeah, I've been with that organization for almost 10 years. And it's been such an interesting um, place to really just make the connections. I think one of the biggest things that people don't really know about the writing industry is that it's very lonely sitting and writing your work. But that's the end of your loneliness. Because at that point, you need readers, you need editors, you need publishers. And so you end up taking this piece of art that you painstakingly spent all this time on, and you kind of throw it to a group of people and say, help me. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think that's really where the WFWA has been um, such a big part of it, because it really helped me build up my writing community. It got me connected with authors that I may have never, ever met otherwise, and really help me find my own mentors and in turn, you know, mentor others, which has been really cool too. Has there been, has there been any sort of uh, takeaways from that position that's kind of helped you with the promotion of the book? Absolutely. I think, you know, it's another thing that authors kind of have to wrap their head around is all this marketing and the social media. And it's a, it's wild out there. It's literally the wild west when it comes to social media. What's a mess? It's amazing. Yep. What doesn't? Um, you know, the things that take off. There's a stellar author. Her book came out on the 19th, too, and it's very different from what mine is, but she, it was her debut, and she just had such an amazing marketing campaign that she took off on TikTok, of course, as we know, TikTok's gotten quite big in the book community, and it's done wonders for her. And so, it's one of those things where it can be very frustrating for authors to be like, why isn't it mine? But it really is just that wild west. And so I think kind of seeing that from an organization side, it helped me, one, wrap my head around it, not to take it too seriously, not to be too hard on myself and just, you know, try and have fun with it. Yeah, it could certainly be overwhelming. Um, <laughs> uh, trying to find uh, like a relaxing uh, outlet, you know, um, it's definitely good uh, for the soul. Um, I read that you uh, went backpacking in Europe. 
I did. That's actually how I kind of started writing. Um, I sort of have written a little bit all through my life. I was a fan fiction writer in high school. I try not to admit that too much, but you know, it is what it is. And uh, when my best girlfriend and I went backpacking after university, she had kind of suggested that I write this original story. Now, at the time, it was a historical fiction about Anne Boleyn and, and Tudor history, which is quite off brand of obviously what I am writing right now. Uh, but it was really my first attempt at writing something somewhat original. Obviously, Anne Boleyn is not a completely original story, given that it is historical. Um, but it was really my first time being like, I'm making these characters. And I will tell you, it went terribly. I wrote a 176,000 word novel. Do not do that. Wow. <laughs> so That's big. It's not Jeez. the light of day. It's big. It's big. It's too big. So it does not see the light of day, but um, it really was the thing that connected me with a Canadian author who also wrote historical fiction. And she really introduced me to the publishing world, kind of talked me through how people get their books put out there. And it was so fascinating because before that conversation, at no point was I like, oh, yeah, I can be a published author. It was like this mythical unicorn that, you know, only special people get. And it was really insightful to kind of have her be so frank and honest about yes this is a possibility maggie at some point i want to see this unpublished work of yours i want to i, I, <laughs> I want to see this massive tome that you've created because i have if i had a nickel for every time a writer said i wrote this book when i was you know in college or high school it, it's it's buried in the backyard i've salted the earth it'll it'll never ever happen I would You'd have a bunch of nickels, right? I'd have a lot of nickels. I, I would have quite a few nickels. <laughs> at least, at least like a jar's full of nickels. You know, pretty big jar too. Well, well, Max, I will tell you that the handwritten copies of this book, because I hand wrote it and then typed it up, are still at my parents' house. So when I go there, if I remember, I will take a photo of it and send it to you. <laughs> I want to see two different books. Right, right. Oh my god, a handwritten too. Wow, you were you were because I wrote it. I wrote it by hand while we were on the train in Europe. So this is what we did because this was like I don't know, thirteen years ago. <laughs> that is such a wonderfully old school way to write a book. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. I love it. I wouldn't do it again. I wouldn't do it again. Fair enough. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. The the uh, the, uh, the hand cramps, right? <laughs> I'm curious about pivoting from historical fiction to murder mystery how'd you lean on this because i i read that you kind of experimented with different genres over the years so how'd you land with this one it's funny i tell people this and i swear it makes me sound so bad but i found it easier to kill people than to make them fall in love <laughs> <laughs> tells you everything you need to know about the person yeah right um but you know what I think what it is, is the historical fiction that I picked with Anne Boleyn, she's got a gruesome end. Um, you know, she loses her head at the end of it all. And it was always sort of this character I really adored. And when I kind of started writing more original stuff, no matter what I wrote, some sort of suspense came into it. So I've also written a suspense based off of my Europe trip where one of us gets abducted. That did not happen. It's very fictional. Um but it was it just sort of, I think I just easily fell into this. And now, like, I grew up, I really loved Nancy Drew. I really loved Mary-Kate and Ashley Mysteries. Um, and I really loved Mary Higgins Clark. So it was just always a genre I think I'd really adored. So 
and romance, I enjoy rom-coms, but I never really was a big romance reader. So for me, when I kind of started writing, usually something suspicious happened and then eventually a body showed up and I was like, well, I guess this is just my genre. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. You must be <laughs> fun uh, to hang out with. I promise. I'm super fun. <laughs> I can only imagine. I can only imagine. All right. I want to take some time and now dive a little bit more into the story of this book, because as I mentioned, begins with a jewelry heist, goes into murder and drugs. Uh, tell us about some of the cast members here and the different roles they play. Yeah. So we follow three points of view. One of um, the ones they are a detective and his name's Ryan Boone. Um, I absolutely adore him. He is widowed, married to the job and just makes the most awkward, bland dad jokes that anybody could ever come across. Normally nobody re reacts. Most of the time they ignore him and he just keeps on trucking because he thinks he's hilarious. Um, personally, I do too, but I'm not that funny. So, um, and then it follows another one who's Melanie Parker. She is, um, another favorite of mine. I mean, let's be honest. I love them all, but she is a madam who actually runs this very intricate escort party operation. And she kind of gets entwined with this drug and this mystery, but she's trying really hard to kind of keep out of it because her operation is obviously less than legal. And she doesn't really need the cops on her doorstep. Um, and my final point of view character, her name is Brielle Jeffries, and she's a well-known heiress who has seen quite some troubled times. She was abducted as a young child and has since suffered a lot of like uh, mental issues. She's been in, in and out of psychiatric care. And finally, she's been out of the clinic for a year. And things seem like they're going well until they're not. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is kind of summing up your life in some way. Like things are, go things are going really well until they weren't. I mean, like, I feel like that could sum up most people's lives. Fair so. enough. That's a fair <laughs> Bingo. These three characters, what about them kept them alive in terms of like the elimination process? Yeah, so I think what was so important about these three characters is, one, I knew from the get-go I could not lose Ryan. He's so important to the investigation. He's my detective. He um, he really is the one who's trying to solve it all. So he, I don't want to say he almost holds the reader's hands because he doesn't, but he is the one that's really grabbing the clues, kind of painting it out for you. Um I think Mel was another pretty easy pick because she is the leader and she kind of sees a lot of the overall and she had um, about two of the other points of view also in kind of her circle. So it was easy to kind of eliminate them and have all of that seen through her eyes. And I think she offered a really unique, per unique perspective to their scenarios. My third POV was probably the hardest one to pick and the reason I picked Brielle is because of all of the, the seven that I'd started with, she was the most on her own. So she kind of was going to be the hardest story to tell through another character's eyes. Um, so I kind of used that as an advantage. And I will say that upon edits and, and doing, you know, narrowing it down to these POVs, there were definitely some uh, storylines that I adjusted so that certain characters did also show up in Brielle's point of view that, you know, may not have been there 
originally, but it was able to work in the story and, and, and tell their story that way. Do you think these other POV characters might make an appearance in a future book, or are they just gone for good? I didn't use any of them in the next book, uh, but what I did do with the next book, which I'm very excited about, is all throughout Mel's point of view, she's got this boyfriend, bodyguard, you know, co-worker named Blaine, and he is one of my main POVs for my next book. So you kind of, he's always this background character and you don't really know much about him and you're going to get to see him in Wicked. So I'm very excited about that. Okay. All right. Tell us a little more about this new book. I'm really, I'm really curious to hear all about it. Yeah. So Wicked really picks up where Twisted ends off and it takes, um, Ryan is also in the character in the book, but he's actually in someone else's POV. So he's a background character now but he does still stay through the book. And it really takes him uh, to another city to investigate a crime where this medication has shown up again. So he's kind of come down as an expert consult uh, to really kind of look into this crime and, and really try and figure out what happened. And in the meantime, you are actually following Blaine's point of view. Um, and he's kind of on the run doing his thing. And you get to get some more of his history. It gets a little bit hinted at at the end of Twisted, but you kind of learn about what his tie to this drug is and why he's so invested in it and really just trying to figure out this conspiracy behind this mysterious medication. What hint can you give us about this drug? So it is a like anti-anxiety medication. It was, it's been new on the market. I think it was about five years on the market when Twisted started. Um, And it's just been popping up everywhere and has some interesting and mysterious side effects. Ooh, Ooh, sneaky. I I like that. I like that. (laughs) You know, there's one theme that I'm getting is a big part of Twisted and that is mental health. It asks the question, how much are we responsible for when we aren't fully in our right mind? How did this become your theme? So I will say um, it was a, a theme that I read in a Mary Higgins Clark book years and years and years ago, and it just always resonated with me. And I'd kind of seen it pop up on and off throughout pop culture. And I just knew I always wanted to explore my own side of it. And I think it is such a really interesting question because you know, you see in the news, you see in criminal cases, people do plead insanity and people do plead, you know, not guilty to things that they did when they weren't in their right mind. And it was always something that, you know, I wanted a character to kind of question. So that was one of the reasons I kind of took that as something to explore. Do you think this will also be in future books? Do you think you might sort of sort of uh, stay with this theme? Possibly. I have written a, another book that's not so much about mental health, but maybe the deteriorating state of somebody's mental state, mm. <laughs> um, which is a future book. But, um, you know, I think whenever you write some sort of psychological thriller or thriller, you know, to do it justice, I think you have to explore the mental state of your bad guy because that's really like you don't want someone who's just bad because they're bad like you want to have some sort of almost reason like not even to really justify it but you can like look at them and and see what their trigger was or see 
maybe why they did the things that you did. And and maybe that's from watching way too much Criminal Minds. It totally could be. <laughs> hey, if it inspires you, it works. And I like that you're sometimes that you're going, a little too much. But I like that you're exploring this angle because yeah, you're right. In in like a lot of cases, the villain is this very like Moriarty kind of character, this evil genius. They're pure evil. They know they are. They totally like it. But yeah, in the real world, half the time crimes are what? Like crimes of like opportunities or crimes of desperation. Mm-hmm. It's not always a bad guy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know, I think it's I think it's a really big thing with some psychological thriller readers is that we do want to believe that this character is this evil or this bad and we want to kind of know what made them that way and it's not like we're expecting to get every single answer I don't think that's ever the case and that's not how thriller books are like you got to leave something a little up to the imagination but just kind of looking at someone and being like oh yeah like that was a really believable bad guy with serious depth and you could look at him and just like know why and understand him and I just think that's very fascinating to the human condition does that mean that your bad guys are really bad guys or are they more flawed characters i mean i don't think there's really ever a good reason to murder somebody (laughs) i can think of a couple you know three or four i mean like max come on now (laughs) what we talked about this we talked about this you're supposed to leave me out of this but yeah i think that's it is that it's like yes they're definitely flawed and i do have a character i'm exploring who make some very poor choices that I probably wouldn't agree with, that I wouldn't agree with. Sorry, not probably. I wouldn't agree with. Um, And I don't want her to be seen as evil, but you know, there are, there are deal breakers and I do have characters question that it's like murder is still murder, even if it is deserved. So yeah, exactly. You know, there's no, there's no, it's not black. I mean, that is black and white, like killing somebody is, not okay and of course there are reasons for it so maybe it doesn't make them evil but i don't know that's a tough question (laughs) well because in their own perspective in their own minds maybe it's fully justified maybe they for them Mm -hmm. it's like nope this is totally okay i have no problems with this yeah and i think that's the thing that makes it great writing right like if you can convince your reader that they are fully justified in taking these actions that somebody would deem evil I mean, that's just writing amazing, amazing bad guys. Yeah. I think it's also good if you can kick off sort of an argument or a really heated discussion among your readers, among like a book club, when yes. they'll just go off for hours about like, was this person actually a villain? Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, that's something that I would like. I'd love it if people take away from Twisted and, and have this discussion. Like, are they responsible for what they did based on their mental health. And, um, you know, I know in that conversation, there's a lot of yeses and there's a lot of no's. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Well, Maggie, we are coming down to the end of the conversation, but a few more questions remain. I want to talk about debut books and not the historical fiction that doesn't, that doesn't exist. Strike it from the record. But in 2022, you released your debut novel, The Things We Lost, which surprisingly has nothing to do with drugs or murder. I'm actually shocked about this. It's about, it's about something being sent back in time 10 years 
to find their life has completely changed. And now they have to, and then the, the mystery part is trying to figure out what happened to change things. It sounds like a really amazing story. I'm curious, though, so you've got this book out. Twisted has just been released. You've got Wicked coming out next year. Do you feel like you've made it as a writer? <laughs> I should preface really quick. The, the Things We Lost does have some suspense and a little bit of attempted murder uh, and possibly some murder later on. <laughs> but in terms of making it, um, you know, I think so. Like, I feel accomplished. I really wouldn't like my career to end here. I don't think I'm done. Um, I do have more stories. I, you know, would love to just keep writing as long as I keep entertaining. And I think that's really my biggest goal is I enjoy writing it. I really hope people enjoy reading it. Um, I'm pretty realistic when it comes to being an author. It's a hustle. It's not usually something that is your full-time job. I do have a full-time job, um, but it's just been such a fun community that I kind of just feel like where I am now is really exciting. And even at this conference, I was just at, you know, I was in the elevator with someone and they asked if I was at the writing conference and I was like, yeah. And she, I was like, oh, I'm Maggie. And she's like, well, what's your last name? And I was like, oh, Giles. And she's like, oh my God, like I just read your book because I'm writing a book about time travel. And like, Somebody suggested it as a comp, and I was like, oh, that's so nice. So, I mean, like, I've had a couple people come up to me like that, which has been really cool. And, I mean, just that to me alone is, I'm like, oh, my goodness, like, I kind of have fans, I guess. (laughs) And even your book is being suggested as, like, an expert opinion on the topic, which is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, within the industry, we always talk about, Uh, finding a comparative novel because especially when you're talking to publishers or agents they want to know that there's a market or that you've looked into your market so for someone who is writing about a time travel or back in time to you know look at my book as a possibility is insane (laughs) i'll say how do you do time travel or do we get to read the book to see that um it's never fully answered in the book so (laughs) <laughs> um, in, in the, in the book, it kind of happens like, um, it, it's a wish, like she makes a wish and, um, it really is just like, you kind of, it happens within the opening chapters. Uh, she's very unhappy in her marriage and her husband who was once very loving and caring, uh, was supposed to come home so they could like have this conversation and he doesn't come home and she goes to bed drunk and angry, basically her last straw. And she basically says, what if I'd never met him? Um, And the next morning she wakes up 10 years younger in an alternate past having, she should have met him four years before and she didn't. So, and and so her, her past is completely changed. Um, And that's sort of the storyline. So it's really her making this foolish wish, as I say, um, and her waking up to discover what would have happened. And let's just say the grass is not always greener. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. Going back in time and changing things doesn't always work out. That, yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> do you think you are stuck with murder mystery, or do you think you might try some different genres in future books? You know, I've written a few other things. Um, like, I've written a young adult fantasy, which is a little bit of a passion project of mine. Totally, totally don't know if it's any good at all, but 
Um, I have a trilogy in young adult fantasy that I'd love to finish. And, you know, I've written some books that don't have murder <laughs> So it's um, definitely a possibility. I think right now, um, this is my brand, I guess. <laughs> so um, that's what we're sticking with. But I do have my passion projects for sure that you know, one day I'd love to put out there. I think they have potential, but, you know, I'm also my biggest fan and my biggest critic. <laughs> and if this doesn't work out, you can always go with young adult fantasy, apparently. Exactly. I mean, I don't know if I have more than one series in me, but who knows? I also didn't think I had more than one thriller in me, so. <laughs> Maggie, what sort of uh, tips... Uh, that can you give uh, our listeners out there uh, in terms of, you know, being a, an aspiring author? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I highly recommend finding a community. It's the biggest thing you can do. You will find people who will cheer you on, commiserate with you, and just totally understand what you're going through. Your friends and family can be the biggest supporter, but they do not get this industry. It is a wild ride. And, you know, finish that book. People, when they start writing their first draft, they just want it to be so perfect. And time and time again, no matter how experienced you are, no matter what author you are, your first draft is garbage. It's always going to be, you always have to edit. So I always encourage people, do not keep going back and rewriting your beginning. Write the end. You have then a full novel and you have something serious to work with. I think uh, someone else said this before me, but the first draft of everything is always shit. Yes. Every single yes. time. <laughs> I don't know, Max. I think you were the first one to say that. <laughs> no, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure someone else said it, actually. I'm not that smart. I'm nowhere near that smart. All right. We can credit you for it. It's fine. Yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see. All right. Well, Maggie, this has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. For the folks at home, of course, I'm going to give you all the details. You go to Maggie Giles, that's G-I-L-E-S dot com. Everything's there. Get your copy of Twisted and look forward to the eventual release of Wicked next year. Do we have a month in mind for when this is going to come out? It is set to come out October 22nd, 2024. Whoa. Full date already. I like this. Yes. I like this. You're ready for this. <laughs> Very good. And definitely, folks, get yourself a copy of The Things We Lost. It sounds like an absolutely amazing ride. And as we always say, support the authors. Follow their socials. A comment on their post. Leave reviews. We love this stuff. It helps everyone out. And Maggie, thank you so much for joining me. Curtis, thank you for being here as always. And look forward to the next conversation. Thank you guys so much for having me. This was amazing. Awesome. Thank you. And with that, we bring this episode to a close. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, check us out on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. You can catch this and all your favorite episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And new episodes are added every week, as well as on Boston Free Radio every Saturday at 10 p.m. You get at me at citywidemax at yahoo.com if you want to suggest a guest, submit your music, or just drop us a line. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.